Dear listeners of the Female Guides Requested podcast, Happy Wednesday! I'm your host Ting Ting from Las Vegas, and today's guest is Megan Yingling from Colorado. Meg came on my radar when I accidentally saw her post on Facebook. In that post, she described her experience with grieving, mental health, and climbing. She mentioned that she was becoming a psychotherapist. And wanted to help people who suffer similar trauma like she did before. At that moment, I also recalled just seeing her name on the new SPI provider list from an AMGA email. Bing! I wanted her on the show. So here she is. Meg is a pre-licensed psychotherapist, AMGA certified rock guide, and SPI provider based out of Estes Park, Colorado. Throughout her two decades in the sport, Meg has learned that climbing and guiding can provide the highest highs, but does not come without its challenges and barriers. Meg has dedicated her career to navigating the intersection between mental health and climbing, and has a deep passion in helping others achieve their goals. Meg loves climbing, running, and playful exploring in her home range of Rocky Mountain National Park. It was a fun conversation, and I learned a lot. Meg shared experiences that many of us can relate to, and provided great insights on dealing with fear and grief. Hope you enjoyed this conversation just like I did. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell me how you pronounce your last name. Yingling. I was thinking whether there's a Asian influence. Yes.、Uh, no Asian influence.、Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. It's actually German.、Like、oh,、Yingling. okay. Yeah. So like J turns into Y, and I don't know if you know the beer Yingling on the western or eastern coast. Oh, so originally it might be spelled as a.、Uh, Why J J U E? So umlaut U turned into U E, which turned into I. Yeah,、um, I went to a a boarding school in Switzerland that was two thirds Korean, and I showed up the first day, and they were very surprised I was not Asian. They <laughs> 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 were like, "You're not." <laughs> so yeah, it's a con. I see. Yeah, because、mm-hmm. I was like, I was shy because I'm Asian, so I was like, Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm white. <laughs> <laughs> and I zoom in your photo. I said, Doesn't I'm trying to see whether you're quarter Asian or one eighth of Asian? No, no. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So where are you at right now, and who do you work for, and what do you usually do? Yeah. Um, so I live in Estes Park,、uh, so Estes Park, Colorado.、Uh, I've lived here since 2019,、um, working as a guide. So I kind of started with a lot of different companies.、Um, was on the road and trying to like come into the Colorado scene through a couple different companies. But worked for Colorado Mountain School for three years, couple years, three, yes. And then、um, just switched over to KMAC Guides this actually past year, so it's a very small local company here in Estes Park.、Um, 
yeah and i i love i love them and i love working here so i get to work in rocky mountain national park mostly um so yeah getting to take people on their first alpine climbs um you know like the petit Grapon or zowie or you know even stuff on long's peak i get to uh you know go play around on um and then a lot of like local stuff so you know we have lumpy ridge which is a part of rocky but you know more you know three to five pitch granite domes that are super fun to play on um but yeah rock guiding rock guiding yeah so you are amt certified rock guide right yes yeah and yeah. Um, yeah for whatever reason uh i also like you i have this travel time to live in my vehicle Mm -hmm. Um, so I start coming East coast and I travel a lot in West coast and for whatever reason, I never come a lot in Colorado. Yeah. My parents moved to Colorado. So I spent my last two years of school or high school in Colorado. And then I went to college in Western Colorado university. And so I think I have roots here and I, I had never really made it out to like Washington. Like I've never been to Washington at all. Like I really want to go out that way. Um, as much time I spent in the van, I spent a lot of time in like Utah and Wyoming. And, I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Utah and Wyoming, but somehow I'm a little bit afraid of going like to like Colorado. Well, and that's what I've heard is people think it's chossy and there's poison ivy everywhere. I've heard that from a couple like Washington guides. They're like, oh, I don't know. Is that kind of your, has people said uh, that? Or? Yeah, one is that. Right. And another thing that people told me that, uh, the rock season in Colorado is kind of short. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, Utah and in the desert, we have very long uh, rock climbing season. Yeah. And uh, and I really like the Wind River Range from Alpine climbing. So I always go there because it's not a lot of people. So I guess people just told me that comparatively, Colorado rock has less, a shorter season and a lot of more crowd. And you know, I like, totally get that perspective and also you just gotta go deep enough like um i just was doing some developing like a first descent on the western side of rocky mountain national park so the continental divide splits the park into two parts um and everyone was looking at the story and thinking that i was in the wind river range and i'm like i'm in you know the most popular park in the states and you just you just gotta go a little bit further back like you gotta go to a little bit more remote areas um but there's such incredible climbing that's not crowded at all and Nice. And I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. So that's my spiel on that. It's like, you just got to go a little bit deeper. <laughs> All right. Now you, you made me intrigued. So next time if I head that way, let me contact you. You got to give me some yeah. good data. Yeah. I know they're good. Yeah. Like it's taken, uh, yeah, just getting to know the park. And there's so many areas. Like yesterday I, I guided a 50 classic and there's not a single person on the route. Wow. Um, and that you just have to play your cards right you know you have to just know the times you know i don't know i, know. I mean it's it, it it has to be really hard because i got in red rise very hard yeah, yeah. is it just because of crowds or so in september so far it's okay but then once you get to mid-october um, i really have to think hard and then a, a lot of people come here they want to climb the classics i was like well you know do you want less crowd? But then in, in my mind, it's classic, but maybe in other people's mind, not classic, but uh, uh -huh, you know, right? <laughs> all those things. Yeah. Classics. yeah. And so how, how did you get into guiding? Uh, okay. Um, so I 
What is, so I've been climbing since I was young. I started as a. You um, still look very young. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I am. I mean, I'm 27. So, um, but I started climbing when I was, gosh, I think in fifth grade. Um, so there's a climbing school or gym across from our middle school. Yeah, I, you. Yeah. I know. Well, it's funny. Cause you know, I climbed my whole childhood and I'm not really, I think it, it's changed for me. Like my relationship with climbing, like I was in the competitive scene for like eight until 18. Um, and I didn't do very well and it was very stressful. <laughs> Um, and then I found outdoor climbing and then I immediately was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going back. So I don't feel like I have like that, you know, gym strength from my childhood. I mean, calm is hard. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I watch a lot of calm. They have to perform all the, like at that, you know, switch has turned on. Totally. I did not do well under that pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went to like a couple of national competitions and I was just a wreck. <laughs> my friends and I like traveling and I loved climbing. So, um, yeah. And then I went to school at Western Colorado university, which has a really big outdoor education program. So, um, yeah, there were a lot, there was a big kind of goal at guiding culture, you know, oh, okay. look at the guides and it was kind of the cool thing to do. Um, wow. yeah, okay. uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Kind of like a different, yeah. I mean, that was just, that was the thing to do is to become a guide, you know? I remember taking my first woofer certification um, in college and there were guys a part of the woofer and then they would like talk about their experiences as a guy and it just, you know, there's like a, felt like a hush hush, like, you know, so much respect for guys in, in that community. So Interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I would love to learn a little bit about that. I'm not saying I have no respect about guys, obviously I do, but uh, I, I just heard so much about the other side of stories. People just like, oh, you know, guys don't get paid that much. It's hard physical work. And then doesn't seem like in the States uh, has the, uh, got enough respect like people in Europe say. Totally. Yeah. And I see that perspective now. And maybe it was just my, you know, young eyes being like seeing them as these rock stars. I thought they were rock stars, guys. Um, so I don't know if that was just me, but it felt like, you know, there was just air to them. That was really cool. So interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you were at that time that kind of planted a seed that you also want to be one of this core member of, of this core community. Yeah, I had interest in it. I, but I didn't really think it was for me. I, so I was like a competitive climber for my whole childhood and then kind of played with like outdoor sport climbing until I went to school and, and there's no sport climbing, it's all trad. So like in, you know, the main area near that area is the black Canyon of the Gunnison. Um, that's yeah, kind of like, Kenya has its reputation. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And the climbing around like Gunnison is kind of similar to the black, like, you know, our crag is Taylor Canyon, which is just like the black Canyon, but two to three pitches long, but still not like kind of, you know, grungy style. That's really fun and hard. Um, so, I learned how, to, I was starting to learn how to track climb, you know, in Taylor Canyon. And then I even like my first multi pitches were in the black Canyon. Um, lots of firsts in the black, like, you know, like I, I pulled my first piece of gear, like whips and all these, like whipped on the vector traverse, which is this like notorious five, nine traverse. I like completely came off it and took this <laughs> insane ride when I was my first multi pitch and all these like very formative experiences. And I, yeah, I just was told that I was not very good with ropes. 
I don't know if you've <laughs> had that, you know, you're like, you know, you're just a little, you're a little out there. Cause I was strong, you know, I was climbing inside pretty strong, but had no experience outdoors. And I was so excited for like outdoor climbing, like the adventure style of climbing was just, I just like could not get enough of it. And probably like, yeah, my first five, 10 trad leads were not, <laughs> you know, uh, could have had more instruction for sure. <laughs> but yeah. I've seen that you come a long way. I mean, you are certified, so you must have to get those rope skills dialed. Yeah. But, and that's something that like is inspiring to me is that people just, I just had this adopted narrative that I was just not good with ropes. I'm not a ropes person. I can, I can climb, I guess, but maybe I can't like play skier very well. And multi-pitch systems are really hard for me to understand. And then I just wanted to, like, I just put in a lot of work, you know, like it just takes a lot of work and experience and you just got to go out and learn the skills and, you know, bug mentors to you know, keep going out with you. And, and then it's a learned skill, you know, like the fact no one starts off as a rope person, you know, I don't know if you agree, but yeah. Just now you say bug your mentors. So I kind of assume that since you are from that environment, probably not very hard for you to find mentors, maybe. It was, yeah, gosh, I've, I've had a couple good mentors, all men. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Not really. I've never had like a female AGA instructor <laughs> or yeah, any female mentors, which I'm excited to, you know, maybe do that more now, be a mentor for others. Um, yeah, but I had a couple, you know, like Gunnison as kind of like the blue collar climbers, like old crusty guys that... <laughs> You know, I just bugged enough to, to let me go on their Black Canyon trip with them. Like, you know, like they have their partner. I'm like, oh, you need a third. You you need a third person on this trip. And how, I, how, do, how, how do you convince them that they need a third? Yeah. Usually, right? People don't like to take a third because it probably would uh, slow down. Totally. Yeah. And somehow they agree. They're like, I guess we, you can become like just grouchily. Yeah. Climbed with a lot of like older guys that just allowed me to be there. Um, I guess yeah. I would say yes, too, because you just, you, you know, you talk in this way, very sad, you know, I think older people like to take on like sad young, younger mentees. Yeah. yeah. So just buck them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It definitely, I, I don't know if I could have do it, could do it now. Like the social cues were there where they're like, we don't really want you to come. We, we, we're good. But me being like, you definitely need us. <laughs> I'm going to be there for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad I did that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I like the energy, though. Probably like when you just started and I, I can't I, I can't remember when I just started. I was more like that. I, said, I don't care. I'm going. Totally. It's yeah. harder to do now for some reason, like inserting yourselves to, for learning opportunities. Yeah, but maybe, maybe maybe we should still try, huh? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 And then especially I found that uh, now I work a lot of time independently and so nice to even just work with other guys. It's like not saying that I learned new technical skills, but I learned so much different perspective working with other people. Totally. Yeah. yeah. How come at the very beginning you mentioned that you think maybe guiding is not for you, but obviously you're guiding right now. What's the transition? of the mindset? I don't, what was it? I mean, I honestly, you know, I don't know if this is, I kind of did it. So my, I was dating a guy at the time and we were living together. And I remember he would always be doing like the rock rescue drill in the, like in our living room on like the brick <laughs> tiles. 
Like he was so thick on being a guide. And I would just, we would travel together and we went to all these amazing places and um, we broke up and I signed up for my rock guide course like a month after. And it was kind of like slightly spiteful, you know, like if that might be, that's terrible to say, but it was like, you know, we would just, we, you know how you can attach yourselves to a person, you know, like you can say, this is your thing. And we kind of, it's now our thing. And it was, I wanted it to be my thing. Mm-hmm. And one way to do that was taking my rock guide course. And I was working in outdoor education a lot. So I was like an adjunct professor for my alma mater, Western Colorado University, and like doing backpacking trips. And I was a wilderness therapy guide for multiple years. Um, so I had, and I had my SBI at that time as well. I'm thinking about it. So it, yeah, but the full dive into rock guiding happened later when I just was like, this is something I want to do for me. I, you know, I, I, I can know. understand though, because I, uh, uh, used to be a nose instructor. So I did a lot of outdoor education before, uh, I was yeah. a energy certified guide. And now originally I didn't even plan to be a guide. I just want to take that because I did a lot of big trip with my, well, my husband now, but at that time, boyfriend. And uh, I wasn't sure that whether I could pull it off on my own. So I decided if I'm a guide, then nobody's going to question <laughs> that I can pull a trip expedition on my own. So, um, and then I just stopped guiding after I, well, I, I taught, but I stopped guiding a lot after I became a certified guide, yes. So, mm-hmm. so I can understand yeah. you just like, you know, uh, it's nice to go out with them, but then, you know, you need to have this for your own. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted the, the education and the experience to like back that, that I can do this on my own. And that was me signing up for my rock guide course. Definitely. I can yeah. do this. Nice. Yeah. And it rocked me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it rocked me. Oh my gosh. I... Oh, so so yeah. so what does it even mean? I like rock you like means the the experience was I just had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I remember there it was in Eldo, so here in Boulder. Um and I wasn't living in Boulder at the time, so Eldo was completely new to me. Um I never like I wore really soft shoes at the uh, time and that was the mistake <laughs> I made the first time. I was like it was so hard. Soft shoes. In Eldo. Yeah, glassy rock. Like, that's totally a thing to get used to. And, like, if you don't have, it's not like if you have the right shoes, but there's specific mm. footwork there. And, it, yeah, you're used to something different. Like, I was used to, like, the black, which, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I remember, like, getting on a climb called Touch and Go on, like, my first rock guide. Like, you know how you have a couple days of instruction and then you have, like, a day where you're on the hot seat? I whipped, like, three times on the first <laughs> hot seat. My feet looked like rollerblades on this rock. Oh, it was terrible. And, yeah, they told me, like, you really got to get it together. Like, you have to climb a 5'9 to be able to say you did this course. I remember being so nervous about that. And I, I was called a recreational climber a lot. They were like, oh, you know, this is good for recreational climbing. And I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I'm climbing, um, which I now have a better understanding of, of course. But yeah, all those things. I was told that after, like, during my debrief, that I should take three years before taking my next Whoa. course. Seriously? I know. Yeah. 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 
and and it, you know I look back and I'm like I accept that feedback and know that I was in a different time but it did give me the fire to be like I'm gonna be certified in three years just to be <laughs> so did that yes <laughs> yeah I mean I don't yeah. know three years I mean yeah I mean you can certainly grow I mean everybody has like a lot of potential to grow I mean I've seen a lot of first time whatever it's like shit show but then you know, it doesn't take that long if people are really into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And if you, you know, depends on what you do with those three exactly. years, right? Like I went so deep into it and was traveling, went to Red Rocks all the time to, you know, get ready for next courses and yeah, took it seriously. Yeah. But but yeah. I also remember my first elder days. It didn't go pretty. <laughs> oh, do you remember? I, yeah, I wore these shoes and then for whatever reason, just like didn't work. And I got so nervous and then I just like, come on, like, you know, Tintin, you can come harder than this. But then I was just having issues. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That sounds like an <laughs> elder experience. Like, I, I can do this, right? Like, why can't I do this? Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy your experience because, um, um, it's kind of funny uh, to me, um, technical skill actually came easy for me because I went to engineering school, so uh, pretty analytical, but climbing actually came really hard for me because I wasn't very good at sports. So <laughs> it's kind of nice to see a little, you, you know, you start with a very strong climber and then uh, have to like uh, try really hard on your technical skills, yeah. Yeah, it is funny how those things are always like. And now I would say the complete opposite. Like my technical skills are way stronger than my climbing <laughs> skills. Because <laughs> I spent so much time on the technical I part. Mean, right? I would like, say just... that maybe you know you now you are like good in all aspects. That's just not say better on the other. I think you are. Yeah. That's, yeah, but it is something that I think that I think about a lot in my guiding is balancing both. Right, like you can see a lot of climbers that are getting really into the technical skills and maybe not developing the climbing skills, you know, like you have to kind of keep upping both. Yeah. Otherwise you are just a recreational climber. <laughs> I know. You don't want to be that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And so this one paragraph you put it out there, uh, called my eyes, you were talking about climbing and mental health. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether you remember. I I remember I saw that you was talking about the climbing and mental health. That's very important for you. And then you got this gram um, to help you you yourself to. Actually, I don't know the detail. I just saw all this paragraph and it piqued my interest. So I would love that you talk a little bit about it to tell us some stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always had an interest in mental health. I've had my own mental health struggles growing up. Um, you know, I've seen a counselor since I could remember. Um, and then I went to school also, so I got a double degree in outdoor education and psychology. So it's always been in mind. Um, and I've always, you know, fear, like I've always had a relationship with fear and climbing um, and always had to navigate that. Um, and it's felt like a big barrier in my climbing that I've always had to like, yeah, just like navigate, you know? Like, so you mean like big like, barrier? Because um, climbing and fear is, is a very common, right? 
So mm-hmm. right, we always talk about fear of falling, fear of perform, uh, not being able to perform, fear of I don't know a lot. But do you think that you have a higher level of fear? Okay. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, no. But it always like you know, it it just was all it, it fear of not performing or fear of not being good enough like came hand in hand with the fear, right? Like I'm more afraid. You know, all these other usually guys are not as afraid as I am, and that would you know make it more tense, right? Like I would push myself into you know harder situations that my nervous system was like not ready for. Um, so yeah, that was always something I was just trying to like. I don't know, dance with. That's an that's analogy that comes in mind. Is it's just a dance. It's always going to be there, and you just have to like find ways that feels good to you. And um, so that's just a little background. Um, and then, yeah, I I lost two friends in climbing accidents, uh, and I think that's what sparked it. So I was traveling around in my van a lot, and then uh, came up to Estes uh, for a backpacking trip, and met a woman named Callie and Callie and I like immediately hit it off and we went, we like got in a van together and we, we traveled West and went to Red Rocks and she was also a guide and really excited for me. I remember she would always just be like, whatever you need to get ready for your advanced rock guide, like I'm here for whatever you need. And, and that was really cool. I'd never had a woman that was excited to support one another in that guiding track. Like that was just a whole new world for me. And I was yeah very excited about it. Um, and so I moved to Estes cause I met my now husband. So he's a physical therapist here in town and, um, I met him, he's a friends with a lot of guides in town. And so I was seeing him at the time and moved here. Um, and then was getting ready for my advanced rock guide course in March of 2020, um, late March, 2020. And then on March 17th, we got a call that Callie was killed in that ice climbing accident in Valdez. Um, so yeah. Um, and then the course, so I had, my course was supposed to start a week later and it was this thing where I was immediately like a relationship where I was like, oh my gosh, Callie, like really wanted me to do this course. She got me ready for this course. Like I got to do this course, but I was just like riddled with grief and fear and anger of climbing. Um, and then the course got canceled. Yeah. I was here in 2020. Yeah. 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 So it got canceled, which is was such a relief for me. So 2020 was just like a lot of grieving. And then, um, in June of 2020, I lost my friend, Tom, who was my primary Alpine climbing partner. Um, we like, yeah, he was a a mentor and then also a partner, like all the big stuff I had done in the Alpine was with Tom. We climbed to the Tetons a lot together. And, um, my first experiences like on the diamond were with Tom, which is a really special place and a place that is nice to have a lot of mentorship on. There's, you know, unique tricks that make you, you know, succeed up there so yeah so he died in 20 or in june of 2020 and i couldn't guide you know like i i could not even think about getting on a rope i was having crazy like physiological symptoms where my feet like my eyes would just completely get blurry and i couldn't like see my feet (laughs) um and my heart would like pound like crazy like really big fear responses whenever i would get on a rope after their incidents. Um, and then, yeah, the Climbing Grief Fund uh, is just the coolest organization. And at the time, they were coming out with A uh, Thousand Ways to Kiss the Ground. I don't know a if you've ways, seen sorry, it. A Thousand Ways to, to kiss, kiss the Ground. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Henna Taylor was the creator, I believe. Um, yeah. And it was a 
a film, a documentary, kind of. It was basically just interviews from all these professional climbers about their own grief experiences. And it helped me so much understand my own grief and how it relates to climbing. Like, it just blew my mind. It was just so... Yeah, there are so many little statements in there that so helped me. Is like, that online that we can find? Okay, maybe I'll ask yeah. for the link. Yes, totally. Um, yeah, at the time it was a paid thing to raise money for the I climbing see. grief fund. Um, but I think it's, it's free now, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's an amazing film. And it just, yeah, shows a lot, sheds a lot of light on, yeah, professional climbers, people who have been in this industry for a long time and how they process losing friends. Um, yeah. So the money that was raised from that documentary went to grants for people to receive help who were struggling with grief and climbing. Um, and I was one of those recipients, which was just incredible. And it's a really simple application if anyone is struggling with the grief um, and it impacting their climbing in lives. Um, I remember I, I filled my application out a week after Tom died and I was like, I need help, but it's COVID and I'm not working and I cannot, like, I don't have insurance and I, there was no way I would be able to afford it on my own. And the application was, you know, two paragraphs long, super simple to fill out. I think they like understand that it's hard to put words to grief. You can't make this like beautiful, eloquent essay when you're grieving. Um, Cause that's not what grief looks like. It's messy. So yeah, very simple application. And then they were so responsive and said, we're, we're getting money for you. We're, we're doing a fundraiser. And then a month later I was able to receive almost a year of counseling. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that like, it enabled me to go back to work and, you know, climbing like is I love climbing so much. It's what I've based my whole life around. And it's so special to me. And I, I lost that relationship um, when I was grieving. And so I was able to, you know, get back on the rock and my symptoms of, you know, my physiological responses were going down a little bit. So that kind of trauma response was dulled with a lot of psychotherapy. <laughs> so yeah, that was a really impactful experience. So that organization, so they provide the funds. Did they also give you some resources who you can talk to and see? Yeah, absolutely. They have a directory um, that I was able to find a counselor that understands climbing. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. And then, so um, in in that paragraph I saw online that um, you said that you went back to school, become a therapist yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the fall of 2021, um, yeah, I decided to go back to school. I, it was something I, you know, I got my undergrads in psychology and was excited to do that field, but that work that, you know, the climbing grief fund, like I wanted to be a resource for others. Like I was given resources for, you know, so yeah, went back to school and then I'm finishing up in May. So I'm not yet graduated. So wait, so finish on May mean the May twenty twenty four. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm currently in my accruing hours phase, kind of like a residency. So I have to just see clients and you know build hours and find, you know I get supervision. Um, and so I started my own practice to do that. I see. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so then you look at it. Would you do say once you get your Mm, is it certification or the fourth yeah. status it's, of being a therapist? I don't know the term. Um, there's a lot. 
<laughs> there's a lot of times. Um, yeah, I, I'll pass my national counselor exam and I can call myself maybe a certified psychotherapist and then I have licensure hours um, until I'm a licensed professional counselor. Okay, so is that is that your plan maybe like down the road that you would do say half-half or, or both at the same time or what what do you see in um in addition in addition to your guiding career or yeah. could be potentially getting more than your guiding yeah that is a question i've thought so much about okay. recently because i've been a therapist recently for the past um since the beginning of august i've transitioned into a full-time therapy role to accrue my hours um and i miss guiding so much <laughs> And I still guide a decent amount. I still get out, you know, one to two days a week with my return clients. And I love my return clients like so much and have a really strong relationship with lots of awesome people. And so that's primarily what I'm doing right now is I just have my return client base. And that's kind of what I've been doing since for the whole year of 2023, actually, um, is just working with, you know, people I've developed relationships with. Um, yeah, but I think, I, I mean, I think I always need and want both. I, I love taking people outside. I love showing them like my favorite places of Rocky. Um, I love developing skills and, you know, getting people on their first multi-pitch climb. Um, and I don't think those are ever going away. And, and a lot of my relationships now with clients is like getting them in the hot seat, you know, and, and working through fear and, uh, you know, insecurity, doubt, like the things that combine the two together so well that climbing inherently has mental health components to it. Um, I kind of have been, working as like more of a coach slash guide. So um, like an example is one client this summer, she flew in and, you know, I had everything set up for a multi-day trip into the Alpine where we had multiple towers we were going to ascend. And she led every single pitch on all of the towers, uh, which is just so cool. And I got to like, you know, be able to provide that feedback and get her, you know, Alpine skills up the bar. And then she also, you know, was working with a lot of fear that we all do and, you know, not feeling like confident in herself and we get to like work through those components of of climbing as well um so that's kind of what i'd like to do with both of them i see yeah it's kind of interesting so like your personal experience and your training on psychology and then right now it's counseling training school uh probably make you adjust uh, the approach when you are guiding right so I was wondering, like, um, usually how do you friend them? I think that you will have a, a little bit more structured way or organized way to help people dealing with fear because I don't have the type of professional training. So all I could do is using compassion, say. But then I'm just curious, cool. that, like, what's your approach? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I have received some training from the uh, Rock Warriors way. Okay. Rock Warriors way. Um, and that has really helped me in, like kind of take a more structured approach to fear. Um, I think like understanding our nervous system and how fear works on like a neurological level um, can really help us understand um, how to help someone navigate it, right? So understanding our limbic system and our nervous system and how that reacts and under yeah, those things can, it's definitely informs my coaching style. And what, what kind of the signs, I mean, because usually people don't voice, sometimes like people don't voice their fear. So what kind of signs that you might see that you're just like, okay, I can give them a little nudge or 
uh, coaching at a certain point, say. Yeah, I'm sure you recognize it more. Like, you know, the client who won't lean back on their clove fish. They say, oh, I'm, I'm good right here. And they're, you know, their fingers are clawed into the rock and they're pushing their hips in and, and they're like, I'm fine, I'm good. I just need to stay right here. Um, I'm sure yeah. you've had that experience. Um, that's, that's like the nervous system being like, you know, sympathetic nervous system engaged, fight or flight. I'm fighting for my life right now. Even when they're like saying, oh, I'm fine. I just need to be right here and I'm okay. And that's where we can coach and be like, okay, let's, let's take, you know, a couple deep breaths. If that feels good to them, sometimes that can be even more like uh, activating to the nervous system. It's like deep breathing. Um, but, you know, orienting them to our, their surroundings, being like, this is how a code works. Let's see if we can just wait at 10%, you know, okay, how does that, let's just stay here for a little bit. Like you, even those small things that they're not like saying they're afraid, but their bodies are like saying it, you know? Yeah. So I kind of remember, yeah. uh, episode seven, I, uh, interviewed Josie and then she's working on the mindset coaching. Yeah. And then she mm -hmm. did mention that, um, if you were, uh, the fear would trigger some bio, uh, response, like your, your palms sweating or heart rate and, and all the things. And so she said, they're trying to recognize those things. And then, then I forgot how she coached people, but I was wondering, is that like similar sounding to you? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you want some yeah, yeah. like nervous system lessons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, do you know of polyvagal theory? No. It's a really cool okay. theory. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a new understanding of our nervous system. And we have a vagus nerve that starts in our upper brain, like brain stem and travels all the way through our whole body, like down to our fingers, into our digestive tract, all throughout our lungs and heart. It's a single nerve. And there's three components of this nerve and that activates our autonomic nervous system. Um, and so we have our uh, ventral vagal nervous system, which is as like the, the oldest part and it's our like shut down okay. like mode, you know, like possum waiting for the Falcon to leave the, <laughs> the death mode. Does, does that <laughs> check yeah. out, you know, it's, and we've seen that in like our clients, right? Like the complete, uh, slow response time, uh, you know, fixed gaze, maybe glassy eyes, like they are just, they're checked out that's a fear response. That is a nervous system survival response. If I just completely step out, then I can be safe. Right. Um, we have our ventral vagal nervous system, which is our kind of our social connection system, which is when we're engaged and we're making eye contact and we're light and we're, we're feeling safe in our surroundings, like internal and external experiences, right? Our like, senses are always taking in new information and it has dubbed that this is a safe situation. Like this conversation feels really safe and we're in our ventral vagal. Um, but I might be a little activated because you know I'm nervous to be on a podcast. And so that is our sympathetic nervous system, which is our third um, of the polyvagal, um, which is where we're like, that's our kind of classic fight or flight where we're activated. We want to run, we want to fight, we want to claw into the wall to not lean onto our clove hitch. Um, so there's a, yeah, if that, that's, that's our polyvagal. And there's a lot of different ways that our, like our nervous system can protect us. Um, so I can shut down or I can 
get really engaged in, in a lot of different ways. And so I'm sure that's what Josie was saying. It's like, okay, what is the body language saying? And for all these different systems, we can do different things to help people come out of it, right? If someone's in their dorsal vagal nervous system, um, like doing activating things to bring them up, to get them back to our uh, ventral vagal is helpful, right? So um, maybe some pressed breathing or, you know, some, some weighting of the clove pitch, some more action stuff. But for our sympathetic nervous system, they're already in an action state. They're already ready to like run away. And so bring them more oriented, more grounding exercises, like noticing surroundings around us, bring them back to their senses. So I'm sorry if that was a lot, but yeah, it just kind of shows that there's so many different methods we can use depending on their body language or what they're, what they're feeling. Nice. Yeah, because yeah. I think um, body language is the signs that we can see. We can't really read their minds. So, um, yeah. yeah. And then this is a what if question. So, I mean, as a guy, I usually say prevention. So you, you start picking up early signs and then start to think about what you have to do. Have you ever encountered that some people just like, well, totally freeze there? And then by maybe like in an alpine climb, just say, no, we have to get out of here then so you don't have this ample time to help process their mental side of things. And do, do yeah. you have that or have you have those experience? Oh, I don't know if I've had that experience. And maybe you just did like, a good job in the picking out early signs so you deal with that already early on potential. Yeah, or choosing the right objective, right? right That's exactly. so important. Yeah. Okay you're going to freak out on this, or this feels like a way too big adventure, even if it feels like it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that's happened to me. You know, I guess like, I don't know if you do this, but if someone gets like freaked out on the wall, like being able to meet them and like making eye contact and talking to them slowly, like that usually can like kind of bring people out pretty quick. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's these extreme cases, but that doesn't happen. But yeah. Good. And then, so how in general, so, well, I mean, climbing, certainly we all see a lot of sign of climbing is dangerous and we manage risk. So um, how do you help kind of feel, or your student feel like they are in a safe learning environment? Ooh, I would love to know. I want to answer, ask you the same <laughs> question with your single pitch instructor, Chip. Um, I think like ventral vagal, if we think about it, is like our connection state. Like that's where we're able to learn and feel safe, right? So that's like always my basis is making sure people feel like they're in a safe environment uh, socially, right? Like social danger is just as real as anything mm. else. Um, like fear of feeling accepted um, or you know, being judged, like those can really get in our way of learning. Um, so that's, I think, just the foundation of just making sure people feel like they can make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and stay curious and that, yeah, they're not going to be judged. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I'm, yeah. and then you mentioned about SPI. I mean, congratulations. We've joined the pool of SPI providers. Thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> I haven't done one yet, but I'm really excited. Yeah. I mean, uh, I seen from the same, uh, I forgot which email that Andrew sent out that, I think now we have quite a few female providers. Yeah, who is it? Because it's been low for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I know that you and Haiti Woods, right? Um, so both of you, so there's two. And then I know me, 
and then um, Elena is still teaching Elena Rinz. Uh, so then there are four. I know it's still not a whole lot, but I, I think oh, there are probably okay. some other ones out there. Um, I think there's at least one East Coast, but since I don't go to East Coast that much, so I'm not quite sure. Yeah. 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 I think the new program is going to really help speed up the process. I know a couple women who are in the assistant providership role, but uh, it's just been hard, like a track. So like, I did know you go through the new process? I, yeah, I would love to learn a little bit because I went through the old, old the, the the version before you did. I think so. It took me quite a long time to become a provider. So how did it go? Like so, what's the format for the new way to become an SPI provider? Yeah, you just pay a good chunk of money <laughs> and <laughs> you take a five day long course. Um, I'm I'm believing that like Andrew is he's doing most of them and then he has an assistant provider provider which is very funny to say he's he's providing providership uh, <laughs> but yeah so uh two instructors five-day course um you know you it's a, a little bit kind of like an aj format where you know you do a lot of like instruction and you know learning the first two days and then you're put into a hot seat into you know you're instructing how to instruct these sbi concepts and given a lot of feedback on it so is there an uh, official exam portion within the five days yeah yeah the way i understand it now is that i'm able to provide courses um and then i teach a couple courses and then i take and exams as to say, so that I can take or provide exams. So I can't certify anyone right oh, now. I can only provide. Okay. So, yeah. so first you have the five day course. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of like maybe um, a rock eye course, similar. So you, you learned and then you have to teach or demonstrate your thing during the five days. But then after mm -hmm. that, you have to teach, co-teach, do you? Yeah, I can teach alone. Um, so I do have like the, I'm, I'm listed as a provider, um, no like apprentice provider title or anything like that. Um, but I am not, I cannot certify. Um, so I can't facilitate exams until I take, I believe it's two or three days. Oh, I'm forgetting. So there, there is an exam portion. There is an exam portion. But then you do, yeah. so you can't take the exam portion until you get more experience. I believe it's two, four, two or four courses. I see. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So is that in your schedule now? Like, oh, yeah, I have a couple on the schedule. It's, it's, um, we, we actually were having, supposed to have one this weekend. It didn't get filled. So, um, I, it's tough with my licensure hours, just accruing hours with my therapy um a lot is going on right now but i would love to travel like i would love to co-teach um and do other things but i do have courses on the schedule that if anyone's looking to take an sbi come take it <laughs> <laughs> so i can get my courses so when you co-teach because in the past that we have this jargon so um so i that this provider and then this provider trainer do you have to co-teach with a provider trainer or you just have to co-teach 
with any provider. Well, yeah, I don't even have to co-teach at oh, all. Okay. Like I could provide, I could teach my own four courses just myself as a provider. Oh, okay. So you can teach courses, I you was... just can't do exam. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. I want to because I want to learn. Um, right. You know, I'm sure it's, it's such a nuanced thing. I'm sure your years of experience have taught you so much, and I'd love to learn more about that. I, I would say so. that um, certainly I found that I, I, I probably you have the similar experiences like, well, you go to this courses, but not until you start guiding, you get better at guiding, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like, okay, I got this courses, but not until I teach SPI and then gradually I start to like collect clues and to get it, to make it a little bit better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that can be challenging, right? You, you kind of have to learn like trial by fire, is that the thing? Or you like, kind of have to just get in the role and make the mistakes. And, and I did have a lot of co-teaching because that was the requirement back then. Just like, like I got a two day training, but then I have to co-teach quite a few courses and exams. Yeah. yeah. So I was the, the so-called assistant provider become, uh, and then finally become the provider. Yeah. So when I was a provider, I'm already called, already called uh, quite a few. No. Yeah. And I think, I think that was a struggle for the new program development process. Like how, like, you know, that co-teaching so many is a barrier because you have to find someone who's willing to let you be an assistant provider. Yes. This is just me hearing about it. I don't know. If it, it, it was hard because you have to travel, uh, cause not, <laughs> not you sometimes you don't have options at your local crack, right? So you have to travel. And I also trying to find different person to co-teach so I can see different styles, but that's just my personal choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, even though I don't have to co-teach, I think it would be so beneficial, at least for a couple. Yeah. I just kind of nice to see what other people deliver this, the so-called same material. I think it's beneficial. Yeah. But certainly yeah. we're cutting into your schedule and then t sometimes you don't get paid and so then um, yada yada and all that. Yeah, yeah. So I think there, yeah, the new program allows for less barriers, more people to go into the provider role, um, which is, yeah, we need more women in this role. <laughs> um, well, that's nice <laughs> that it's easier. Yeah. yeah. So have you thought about um, doing some affinity programs, you know, because there's just not many uh, female providers. I mean, that giving courses to like women only because I taught a, f a few. I would love to, and that's been the goal since the beginning, right? Like I, that's, that's the dream. Um, I feel slightly out of connection. Like I know if I, you know, there's all these courses being run by like the North Face and I'm sure, have you run? some courses that like memo and yeah so those like... affinity based programs so amga uh work with uh sponsors and then they do those courses yeah so mm -hmm. and they do well i'm sorry uh, so the one that's for women's ones i think the the brown girls climb and uh, uh flash foxy and also Arterix together they've been working with amga to provide women only SPI course exam and I work up some of them. Yeah. Okay. I need to get kind of connected into that circle and just know like, Hey, like I'm a provider now, love to be considered for Right. Yeah. So you'll, yeah. Talk, talk to AMGA. Maybe you ask first ask, ask Andrew and then I think he can put it into contact with the right person. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah so that, that would be amazing. 
forward to reading right. this. Definitely. Cool. And then so, all right. So then, so you have to code No. Okay. You teach and then eventually get the exam and become a four. Yeah. I can do it all. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird. Yeah. I know. I'm just learning. Sorry. I mean, when I know we talk a little bit too much about this, but I'm just learning the new process. So, totally. you know, in the, in, in yeah. the future, somebody asked me, I have something to yeah. tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Cool. Uh, so then, so how many, how many days? I mean, I know that right now you're still going to school and I have to do your, um, counseling, um, practice. How many days do you got a year? You think estimation? Oh, oh. Um, last year I did around 80 okay. and that was a full normal year and I was going to school full time. Um, and so, yeah, I would just work full time and I would travel. So I, you know, go to Red Rocks in the spring and the fall and I got, you know, went to Mexico for January and, you know, That's Chico, you know. Uh, yep, yep. And then I go to Joshua Tree for March. And so I, I made the full rotation rock guide schedule. And that was about 80 this year. It's probably a little bit less um, just because I'm entering into this. But I mean, I still, yeah, maybe like I, I don't have the numbers of this course. year. Usually I'm better at numbers, <laughs> but probably around 40. Oh, okay. Right. Or 50 to 80. Oh. I mean, I usually like from April to October, yeah, five days a week. Whoa. Um, five days field. a week. That's a lot. Yeah. In the summer, it's like pretty go, go, go. Here. Yeah, because that's the season, right? Mm-hmm. in Colorado yeah and it starts early and and that's like I think that's why I love Colorado so much is because I can guide full year round it feels like like some of my best days in Eldo have been in December um so not in Estes but going down into Boulder like there are some great days throughout the whole year so I'll have like maybe one day maybe two days from like January to March but then once April hits it's pretty long mm-hmm. So right now you're in the practical phase about your therapy. Uh, so can you accept clients from your end or they have to go through like uh, another ways than then find you? How does that work? Oh, for, for counseling? Yeah, for counseling. Sorry. Yeah, um, you can reach out via any you know method. Um, I do have like because I'm not uh, licensed yet, I do have like a billing supervisor and, you know, all the, the liability insurance and all those things. And I do take most insurances as well. Um, so I do have like a separate company that I go through for all that. Okay. So they can, if they need some help, they can contact you and then, then you will help totally. them to set whatever those things up. Right. Because you are also under supervision. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Cool. And there's also, um, two questions that I usually ask all my guests. So, uh, the first thing is I want to look back. Uh, if I say that you can only pick one <laughs> that like, what, what would you, what will be your proudest moment? Oh, <laughs> that's a hard question. Oh, my proudest moment guiding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just, you know, overall, it might just be combined guiding and personal climbing or something. Yeah. Hmm. 
Oh, that's such a hard question. Like the second you say that, just all these memories flood into my brain. Yeah, because you know? usually people have a hard time picking the one because there's just so yeah. many moments and we know that guiding we can have a lot of moments like those. One that comes to mind is actually just recently this summer. Um, for a long time return. Oh gosh, there's two though. That's oh. science. Tell me two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a good season this season. I just like all these return clients that I've had relationships with for a couple of years now. Um, one was the one where she did all the leading. Um, and that was such a cool experience because, you know, she she has a full-time job and flies all the time and I was able to just do all the work to you know have a full backcountry trip planned permits acquired routes that she would really thrive on all the beta down to a T to prep her for each pitch and just got to see her like challenge herself like pitch after pitch tower after tower and it was amazing like I was just blown away that she would challenge herself like that and that I got to support her in that way um so that was just, yeah, really made me so proud to see her thrive like that. So that's, that's, that's a really good one. And then another client um, I've been working with a couple of years, he's been working towards the diamond on Long's Peak, which do you know of the diamond? Yes. In New York? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's been working towards it since 2003. Like he's just, since he heard about climbing, he's known about the diamond and has worked towards it. Um, and we did it this year and it was, well, we did it in a three day ascent and it was, you know, pushed him to his limit and um, just celebrating with him on the summit. It was just the coolest feeling ever. And it was a, it was a cool feeling for me as well, because that was a really big guiding objective for me to take on as well. Um, so it was kind of like a culmination of both our efforts to be able to do stay on the summit together. So. Yeah, I, I can totally relate. Yeah, I found that uh, when I asked these questions and then I can see this glow then in mm. people's face and eyes, it's just, uh, wow, I know, I help them. And then they, they have accomplished a lot. Uh, and I love long-term return clients too, because I feel like I am like part of their growth. Totally. Yeah. It's like a developing relationship. Exactly. You can see, yeah. Like you could have never done that two years ago and you get to see their own efforts and then you get to see how you can prop them up. Definitely. And then yeah. I found that that's become a, a better relationship because not just that we, it's not that we take them out, we help them and coach them. And then, then it's actually means a lot more to us too. <laughs> Yes, totally. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, not like dragging them up. Like they are really doing mm -hmm. work, and we just get to everything you can to support them succeed. Yeah, that's such a cool it feeling. is. It is such a cool feeling. Yeah. yeah, because we can't from like we don't know anything from like we cannot do things, and we kind of want to pass the knowledge to people. Yeah. 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 And how about another question? Um, how about say um, if the listeners of this episode, they can only take one thing away. So, uh, then what would you wish they take away? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I think I've struggled the most in guiding with trying to fit into what I've seen looks like a guide. Okay. You know, um, like, you know, in Boulder, 
there's a certain look, you know, (laughs) (laughs) if I wanted to be a guide, I had to look and act like that. You mean look by just like clothing, equipment, like how look or look of this atmosphere or energy? All of it, vibe, brand, way you rack your harness. (laughs) Way you rack your harness, okay. You know, like it's this, right? That's a thing. Like you see all these people that you look up to right. and, okay, if I want to be a guide, then that that's what a guide looks like. So I'll look like that. Um, and that's really gotten me into like hard situations. You know, it's like, oh, I can't look like that. That's not what I look like. And then, especially for women, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's so hard. And so I think, yeah. And then it leads to burnout, right? When you fit, try to fit into someone else's box. Like, totally. I think you just... Yeah, you get burnt out. So I think maybe that's the one thing to create your own definition and feel good in that and seek mentorship and, and advice in it. Like, you know, get crowdsource and have a good support system, but do it the way that you want to do it. That's you know? great. I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I was just finished an SPI course exam. And, uh, you know, in SPI, we have to talk about professionalism. And mm-hmm. then so I talked. I also think about the look, say in quotes, and also the guy voice. And uh, and I just like, you know what? The look, as long as you, you don't have, say, a sling that's like more than 10 years old. I mean, what's wrong <laughs> with like how you wreck your, your harness? Yeah. yeah, so everybody should develop their guy voice and and look, I think. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's a hard conversation that I struggled with during my, uh, like my five day course is talking about professionalism and how do we navigate that conversation while also being inclusive and yeah. open-minded mm-hmm. and not rigid. Yeah. I think like taking pride in your work and, you know, showing up ready to provide a good experience like that will always lead you in a good spot. Yeah even if you don't have a certain voice. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> a hard topic. I mean, a lot of soft skill in the curriculum is like hard topics. And so uh, I think for me, my approach is to facilitate the conversation, but not telling them what to do. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. And what kind of, I'm curious, what do people say about the professionalism when you open that conversation, new instructors? Mm. They usually bring out their, say, if they have already some experience, they bring out their experience and say that, okay, um, especially some of my participants coming from affinity uh, affinity communities. So then making people feel included and then not understanding that everybody's learning is different. Um, So then don't act like the way that they can, could potentially feel they are inadequate. Um, and then also feeling that this environment is safe for them to set out their own challenges um, and then take away things that they choose to take away. So mm-hmm. those are the common ones. And then usually I also will have a discussion, talk about guide voice say that, okay, you know, well, guy voice, everybody can have their own guy voice. And then the, the only thing I would ask is like, well, you know, you can have any guy voice. Just I ask that if anything is safety 
related, then just leave no room for ambiguity and all other things mm-hmm. you are freestyling. So, um, so, so that kind of conversation usually is a pretty fun conversation, and I try to. So usually um, in the AMG curriculum, you want to talk about professional the first day, but then I could just write when you start the course, and then I would say that hey, look, this is a big topic. We will talk about it, but I actually put it a bit later. Say, you know, I will teach, and then you can see how I teach. Maybe you can say that maybe I act professionally, not professionally in a way, and then later we can discuss about everything. Yeah, so they at least have a little example of like how I teach the course, so then we have more material to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's my approach. And then obviously you will have your approach. Yeah. Just like you said that, you know, you'll find your approach. There's no, there's not like a mold to fit. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Which is hard when you're new, right? Definitely. Oh, I don't know what mold is. I need to look at others and try theirs on for size. And that's where you find your own. It's like, I know. And it's very hard to be new, right? So that's why all these SPI instructor students, they are new, right? They, 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 so I just like, you know, it's fine. You know, you are new. I just only request is, you know, please don't kill anybody. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, if you don't kill anybody on your first day of work, okay, you, your job well done. And then we will add bells and whistles gradually. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a saying my dad always says, he says, landing the plane is a success. Uh-huh. Being able to fly the plane again is a victory <laughs> or something. Like, you know, like if you land the plane, if you get everyone home, then you landed the plane. Yeah. You, you did a good job. Uh-huh. Um, they can go from there. If you can fly the plane again, if they want to come back and climb with you or. Yeah, you know, definitely. Like, and I, 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 I know you probably uh, know this so well that when people feel more comfortable, they just perform. Right, I don't have to give them extra unnecessary pressure. Yes, they have that all in themselves. It's already there. Yes, right. So as as a guy, our job to help them to to shine with their what they already have. Yeah, and that I don't know from your experience, but when I went through my own like you know rock guide programming, that was the hardest part. Was being like the not taking put not putting any more pressure on me than already was there yes that was what made me perform less at any time just because of the pressure like i can do better than this or i can i'm just feeling nervous or usually i don't do this why did i do this this way or you know i mean right just being new and being examined you think people watch you all the time it's like that's like you already give yourself a lot of pressure yeah I get nervous at ballet tests in gym still. It's like, come on, sir. I don't need to, what's going on right now, you know? Very normal. I actually failed a gym ballet te- test once. It's fun. Recently? Recently or... because, oh, and no. I just like, look, this is the video that Pestle said that. Yes. And then, but, but whatever. So it'll be yeah. I don't. I wasn't embarrassed because I'm doing exactly what Pesos recommend you to do. But her manufacturer's recommendation, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, I guess I got to be off topic. Yeah. Um, 
then and kind of like I'm curious. So you said that you have that、um, on the spot doing into a guy rock guy program. Have you have any experience like just because you are a female that、uh, make you feel like you need to perform even better, or you feel like people are not like the environment is a little bit like not supportive? Gosh, yeah. I feel like sometimes I climb for all of womankind, <laughs> and then I realize that is ridiculous. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way? I mean, just like I have to represent all of women in this one moment. That is way too much pressure. <laughs> like, why would I? Why would you put yourself in that much pressure? Yeah, but you want to like, you know, a lot of the times you're the only woman, or yeah, I mean, very few, and you want to like show up. Or I feel like you need to overcompensate. Yeah, I one thing. Yeah, I was thinking about this recently.、Um, on my rock guide exam, I had an instructor that multiple women had told me was biased towards women and was harder on women. And how like that's a terrible reputation to have. <laughs> first of all, like oh no, <laughs> you know, and how much like that gets into your own head.、Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry, but it just yeah, those those experiences with instructors being like, okay, how are they seeing me? How do I need to act? Like I need to like show up twice as much to be able to be seen as equal. Yes, I totally experiences. Yeah, and then I've had the opposite. I don't know if you've ever had this where you are given more room, like because like I remember on my rock guide course there were. Two other women in it, a group of like twelve, and they put us all in the same group for optimal learning opportunities. Okay.、Um, and I hated this so much. <laughs> like, and the instructor who was ever with us that day was really nice and spoke softly and made sure that we felt really comfortable. <laughs> you know, and it drove me insane. <laughs> no, I had the opposite too, and that's almost as bad, I right? Stand, yes. Yeah, but you know when you mentioned that, I mean, it was a horrible reputation to have for that particular person. You know, sometimes I wonder. You know, I wish that I, I gave people the impression that they can tell me anything if they think I suck. <laughs> totally. Yeah, because I don't want to have like some sort of random reputation that people can only talk if I'm like back. Yeah. And that's yeah for instructors, and that I, I think I brought that up because I saw that a woman was saying that she was really she did not want to take a rock guide course unless she knew the instructor. The instructor. Okay. Yeah, and that's why it's like okay, I'm okay with not doing an affinity program, but I do need to know who the instructors are, and usually you don't figure that out until a month before your course.、Um, yeah, so that that's kind of like an interesting barrier that could go away with. And then one thing is just having a better communication with feedback. Exactly. <laughs> if you have that, if you have that reputation, you should know. Yeah.、Um, and I want to get to one. No yeah,、way. because I know that the SPI provider pulled, and there's like people have all sorts of reputation too. I just like, oh, you know, I tell them that if something you notice, tell me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's an interesting thing with the guide program and the SBI program is with SBIs, you know who you're signing、that's、up for. That's right. 
yeah and then i'm sure there's certain circumstances that's not true but with the rock or any guide program it's not that way i feel like it could be, could be. yeah well yeah. i mean i yeah i understand so that you know you don't have to treat us soft cush <laughs> especially right uh but then also um just treat us like a normal human being that'd be great that'd be okay. that's all i have <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I see. Yeah. That's like everyone, I don't know, those are the bookends, right? right? Like with nap learning something new, you kind of swing both mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's definitely that's my attempt of empathy with that one. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was so fun chatting with you. So how how do people find you? What's uh your social uh media presence? Oh, don't really have okay. much of one. But I mean, I do have an Instagram, Meg.Yingling, just my name. All right. So, and like yeah. any website, you know, company you work for or the therapy um, program and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, I have so many different emails. I think if you want to go climbing with me um, or like any mentorship opportunities and with KMAC guides. Um, so if you look up Estes Park guiding, um, that's what you'll find pretty quickly. Um yeah. And then for, for therapy, I would just reach out to my Instagram handle is probably the easiest way. And then you can connect to me a different method. Great. Yeah. Then yeah. I would uh, put all the things in the show notes so people can find you and everything. Thank you. It was nice chatting with you. I-